Hey, what is going on, people? Welcome back to another edition of Identity Talk for Educators Live. This is your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, live from Addis Ababa. And I got here a very special guest, a little celebrity, man. Got um, Dr. Sean Willie in the house, founder of the Teach, Hustle, Inspire movement that is blowing up social media waves everywhere everywhere i go someone's got a shirt on someone's got a tote bag so we're going to talk a lot about teach hustle inspire as well as some of the other ventures and initiatives that he's getting into for 2020 and also his book which i have a copy of mc means move the class an incredible read for those who are all about hip-hop as well as trying to spark engagement and motivation in culturally diverse classrooms. This is an incredible read and you got to get you a copy if you don't have it already. You know, appreciate that. Went through that book in maybe a week, probably in a day because it was just that good, but you know, life gets in the way, but I got it in within a week and I feel like I got to read it again, 2020, just to, you know, refresh my memory. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, but welcome to the show, Dr. Willie, man. What's going on? Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, ever since the first time that I met you. I want to say it was going on a year and a half ago now in Jacksonville. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I said this this guy's got good energy and he, he had, we have a similar mindset with what we're trying to do with education. So I I am humbled and I appreciate you sharing your space with me today. Man, likewise, man. It's, you know, I mean, it's an honor to have you on the show and to have this conversation because I know you got a lot going on. So to, you know, take the time to chat with me about everything education and hip hop, you know, that's greatly appreciated. No problem. Glad to be here. Yes. And, And just to let you know, during the first three episodes, I've had different people already quote you saying, you know what, Dr. Sean Woodley, I like to keep on inspired. You know, he's got some swag to it. So, you know, the word is definitely spreading. <laughs> I'm just trying, I'm trying to get it out there because, and, and we'll get into this, man, but we're all we have as far as educators. Yes. And, and we, the more love and light that we can feel and spread amongst one another, the better. Yes, sir. So let's get into it. So before we get into all the other incredible things you're doing, uh, why don't you spend some time talking about yourself and you know what brought you into education? Because I know you're based in Atlanta, but man, you're a New Yorker. Absolutely. Born and raised. So you know, just talk a little bit about that. Sure, sure. Um, where do I begin? I I began my career as an educator with music specifically. Um, I, I in high school I wanted to be a drummer and I was in the band and I played a couple gigs here and there. Played at the church, me and my dad, and so I wanted to go on tour and be a drummer. Oh. And that's all I saw. I had I had tunnel vision, but. I got some really solid advice maybe my junior year from one of my music teachers. And he said, you know, make yourself a little bit more marketable, make you have a backup plan and study music, but study education as well. Best advice that I got 
as far as college. And I'm so glad that he gave that to me. And I went to Hampton University and it was a great experience for me. I did a five-year program. So I got my, um, my bachelor's degree in four years and then did an extra year for my master's and knocked it all out in five years. It was tough because with that five-year program, as a lot of my peers got into their junior and senior year in college, they were like taking maybe 12, 13 credits. I had 18 credits the entire time I was there. Oh, wow. So, you know, in order to get that master's in five years, but I was, I was there for it. Uh, and I was enjoying what I was learning too. So it was cool. You know, it wasn't a big deal. And I, and I made time, I still made time to, to be around and kick it a little bit. You know, I, I was managing my time pretty decently. Um, but once I finished that, I, I started my teaching in about 2006. Mm -hmm. And I taught in an urban school district um, in Virginia. And I taught there for about eight years before moving here to Atlanta and taught um, here in another urban district for another two years before I started teaching at the college level. And now I teach at the college level and I teach teachers essentially uh, with classroom management and student engagement. And also I work with schools and school districts with a lot of staff development focused on um, culturally responsive teaching and culturally responsive classroom management. And I do, uh, you know, just giving keynotes and working with educators one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, or even at the school level. Um, and it's really, it's fun for me because I enjoy this so much. And because this allows me to exercise a lot of my personal creativity with something that I love, I just get ideas left and right. And it's hard work, but like I enjoy the work, you know what I mean? So it's just something that I feel like I'm just really starting to get going in, even though I've been doing this for a while. Uh, but I, I really just feel like I'm starting to, to really hit my stride and hit this groove. And I know that, you know, the top is yet to be seen. And, and that's the part that's scary in a good way, because already yeah. you're making such an immense impact on so many educators whether it's through your workshops or through the book or through the clothing line like i'm already seeing the impact so for you to say that you're just scratching the surface i'm already excited about what 2020 um has in store uh for all of us but we'll get more into that as we get deeper into the conversation uh so you mentioned you know, your creativity how you're able to exercise it through these different ventures and it allows me to kind of see kind of where you're going with it, especially with Teach Hustle Inspire, mm -hmm. which is a huge movement that's just blown up. Can you just tell me what inspired you to start this movement? Because I know prior to that, it was under a different name, but you recently Correct. went through a rebranding process yep. to get it to become Teach Hustle Inspire. So if you can talk to us about that process and, sure. what, and what prompted it to happen. I I knew that I wanted to do something to galvanize us as educators. Um, when I originally started everything as far as just outside of my research and classroom management, just as a way to connect us, I started with a podcast. And the podcast was originally called the Urban and Educating Podcast. And so what I did, that was my platform, if you will, to help reach and connect educators with just a way 
I, I kind of had a tagline. It was like classroom management and student engagement for educators who wanted to change the world but have fun while doing it. And so I used it as just a way to exercise a little more of my creativity with music and good conversation and just as a, a really a, a, a way for me to kind of just insert myself into the conversation a little bit more than what I could do with workshops and research, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And so the podcast was, was doing pretty well. And I just felt a shift happening. I can't really pinpoint it to a particular moment, but it was just like this vibe that I was getting. And Teach, Hustle, Inspire kind of was just started um, like, you know, I, I work out of my office here and it's going to sound crazy, but it just came to me one day with everything that I've been doing as far as my research and this practice in education now going on 13, 14 years. And those three words, everything just boiled down to that because like, I didn't just pick those three terms just like out of thin air. They each have significant meaning yeah. because when you talk about the teach, we're talking about how we unlock intellectual treasure. Yes. That's for our students and that's for ourselves to be 100. When we talk about the hustle, hustle sometimes depending on how it's used, it can mean different things. When I'm talking about the hustle, I'm talking about that grind and how we as educators, we can't stop and we won't stop learning. That is how we evolve as human beings. It's how we evolve as educators. It's how we evolve in our connections with our students. It's how we evolve in our practice. We can't stop and we won't stop learning. We can't, we cannot do it. Yes. And the Inspire is about how we spread love and light. Like I mentioned before, we're all we have in this, in this thankless work that we do as educators. And I think with those three terms, it was the connection was just boom, like that, that's it. And I kind of just threw it out there. Like it resonated to me immediately, but I threw it out there and boom, it was just like, yo this is nice this is and then so i i i just i went with the with the mo momentum if you will and kind of just jumped on that and, and kept moving forward with it and so i i began to get into the merchandising a little bit more uh rebranding uh the workshops and the podcasts and so forth and it's been doing really really well and i think it boils down to identity and you've familiar with that because it connects with a lot of educators identity we all teach we all hustle and we all inspire that's why we're in this field moreover what i really began to notice that it resonated with people outside of education if i have a shirt on or something like i travel a lot and so i'll usually wear a t-shirt or a hoodie to the airport and i have yet to wear it and someone doesn't stop me and say that's a nice shirt where'd you get that from or something like that you know so and and these are people ed education or not so that's why i'm like this is this is really resonating with people who have you know just uh who, who want to see education flourish if you will you know what i mean no absolutely and it transcends education i mean this is a movement that speaks to the greater community Absolutely. You know, and, and that's what's been amazing about it because whenever I wear my teachers and spy shirts, I always have at least one person stop me and say, Hey, where did you buy this shirt? 
they have to go into the spell about how, you know, you know, this is uh, my man, Dr. Sean Willie. He's in Atlanta, but he's in New Yorker. He's got this line. Check him out. So I'm constantly doing that whenever I wear these shirts. I appreciate that. Yeah, man, because um, I just want to let you know it's it's spreading. It really is. But I just find it brilliant. And this is really what was intriguing about you, you know, personally, how you were able to take hip hop culture, you know, you know, me being a hip hop head, I was like, oh smack, he's he is intersecting hip hop culture with the art of teaching. <laughs> and of course, I see the parallels mm-hmm. and I see some of the um intersectionality between the two. But to mm-hmm. be able to put it in the form of a book that that's just brilliant so i just have to know thank you what was that yeah i mean mc means move the class how to spark engagement and motivation in urban and culturally diverse classrooms once again brilliant book how did you fully develop this concept of using hip-hop culture as a metaphor to describe how teaching is very much an art form. It, it was birthed over probably the 10 year process that I spent teaching because, um, teaching public school, if you will, mm-hmm. because my entire time teaching public school, I also had a side hustle as a DJ. Yes. And I go into detail in the book about pretty much how from Monday through Friday, I would teach my students and then come Friday, Saturday, and even some Sundays, I have my turntables in the truck. And a lot of times after work on Fridays, I would go from the classroom to the club. And it was exciting. <laughs> and just being a DJ, you know, I here I am with my turntables and my microphone, and I'm trying to get these participants to move, essentially, and enjoy themselves and have a good time. I'm in control of that. Mm-hmm. And what happened, Kwame, is that over the course of that 10 years, I started to just notice my objective in the role, in my role as an educator, and my objective in my role as a DJ was very, very similar. As a matter of fact, I, I can go so far as to say it was pretty much the same. Yes. Because in each of those, I'm in a one-to-many environment. I am a source of motivation. I am a, I am a catalyst. I'm a curator of content. You, you see what I'm saying? I'm making real-time decisions. I, I, I tell, you know, participants in my workshop and when I work with teachers, if you, if you think about the decision-making process and how often we as educators have to make decisions, it, it, it's exhausting sometimes, the energy that we use to make decisions. And, and it's kind of that same thing that I would discover as a DJ because I'm constantly making decisions about what song I'm going to play next. And, and sometimes those decisions have to change. I might come in there with a certain plan based on the crowd, but when I see that they're reacting a certain way, all right, let me, let me go a little bit further this way. All right, let, let me bring them back. Yes. Let me go now this way. And, and you're, you're, you're constantly making decisions to keep everything here. You don't want it to get too low. Sometimes you want to bring it down, but you got to bring it back down a little bit, you know? So it's just in that, whether the classroom or the club, my objective and how I was trying to get people to do certain things was very similar. So it just almost seemed obvious to me to use that as a frame for what I was trying to do in this book. Because I I had this idea for the book maybe for at least three or four years before I actually wrote it. But when I just got that spark 
to use that as a frame and as an analogy, that left me no choice but to write it. I said, I read this book and you dropped many gems um, just throughout. But there was one particular quote that I want to read and just kind of talk with you about. So I'm just going to open up. So I'm on page 52. So this is um, the side A interlude uh, chapter. And you have a quote that says, the MC is structured in their approach, but ad-libs and freely flows with a purpose in mind. So, so profound. When I thought about this, I thought about the MC as far as ad-libbing. So we think Mm -hmm. about MCs, you have MCs, they freestyle. You Mm -hmm. know, they don't always write down their rhymes. Some have, you know, Mm -hmm. ghostwriters. So in our case, we have people that probably do our lessons for us or help us with our lesson plans. (laughs) And then you have um, some who, they just have that ability, that innate ability to just present content in Mm -hmm. a way that's fresh and lively and engaging to students. And that's something that kids don't always teach. It just comes to you. Mm -hmm. And some people either have it or they don't. You know, and and that's how I look at, you know, certain MCs. They come in and they have a certain energy about them that allows them to to move the crowd, that allows them to engage, that allows them to to entertain. Yes, Yes. that's an entertainment factor, absolutely. We do the same thing with our students. We can detect when the students are not at their best and when they're not in the best mood emotionally or physically, we, we sense these things. And based on that, we allow those emotions to inform the way in which we impart knowledge, the way in which we deliver instruction, um, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So, so just kind of tell us about where you were going with that. So MC being structured in their approach, mm-hmm. ad-libbing and just doing things freely because that's, a lot of what teaching is. Sometimes yes. we have a lesson plan that doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Absolutely. You have mm-hmm. to have that plan B. That's where the ad yeah. limit comes in. Because mm-hmm. you're making that, that audible right then and there. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, but just talk to us about that. It, it really starts from not being confined to that lesson. Like the, the lesson is a foundation and when you teach and you bring life to that lesson, now you're adding the structure on top of it and putting the window dressings in the paint. You see what I'm saying? So in other words, or if you think in musical terms, like that lesson might be the beat, but now you need some horns, you need some melody on top of that to bring life to that. So, you know, you have the confines here. And, and let, let's just say, you know, it, think of it as a road, but mm-hmm. you have within the confines of this road, you have a lot of range. Sometimes you might need to go left, sometimes you need to go right, but you still need to stay on that road. Sometimes what can happen is when we as educators with that lesson, we go straight, straight, straight and refuse to change lanes. Mm -hmm. The role, what I was trying to communicate there with that MC is we have to understand that in the confines of what we're trying to teach, you can change lanes sometimes. And sometimes if you need to get off an exit, to get on a side street for a couple of minutes because it's relevant to what you're trying to do and ad lib and bring something else to make that connection that is perfectly fine. But at the end of the day, you want to get yourself back 
into the confines of that role. Weave as you need to, ad lib as you need to, and that comes with a certain level of comfort, which comes with a certain level of experience and knowledge with doing these things. You know, I certainly don't recommend. I, I wasn't that. I wasn't saying that to imply fly off the cuff. No, you no. know what I mean. But <laughs> that is just more so a, a license for creativity while teaching, which I totally agree with. But then you have some people, if we're going to play devil's advocate, you have some people who mm -hmm. say, I want to be innovative. I want to be creative. But my creativity is stifled by the fact that I have these mandates from my district saying, you know what? I got to get ready for these benchmark assessments. I got I to sure. get ready for these standardized tests. You know, I have to show that my kids are growing by 20, 25% by the end of this year mm -hmm. or else. I may not have a job next year and I got to feed my mm -hmm. family. So there are people who yeah. want to do these things, but there is a sense of apprehension. Absolutely. Because this is their livelihood. This is what allows them to support their families financially and among other things. So, I mean, I could see the dilemma because I've been yeah. in that situation before, but then you, you kind of get to a point where it's like, I got to do what's best for my students because ultimately yeah. that's why we come into the classroom every day. That's why we should be doing this work mm -hmm. because of the students and to a greater degree, their families, because mm -hmm. they need this, our support as well. Mm -hmm. But what I find interesting is, and this is why I think, this is why I think teaching is so beautiful because just like with MC, you have different types of MCs. You have your more gangster rappers, man. You got your more conscious rappers. You know, you have those that are more eclectic and alternative in the way they mm -hmm. go about their musicality and teach mm -hmm. them the same way. You know, you have some who yes. are more strict and authoritative. You have yes. some who are a bit more lax. Like for myself, I'm more of a joker. I like to joke around with kids. So I'm like, I'm like the big kid. But then my partner might not be like that. But at the yeah. same time, we get the respect from both classes because mm -hmm. we're on the same page in terms of expectations and norms, even yeah. though mm -hmm. stylistically we do things differently. Yep. The expectations and the norms are constant and the kids yes. recognize that. And you mentioned that in the book as well. Going into this whole hip-hop education revolution because there's a revolution going on which is crazy because there was a point in time when hip-hop was frowned upon mm -hmm. by government officials so i mean for those who are hip-hop historians you probably know about some of the issues that let's say two live crew and uncle luke had to deal with back mm -hmm. in the day even with ice tea when he put out pop killer mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I talk about the West Coast. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of controversy, you know, with hip hop, particularly in the late eighties and early nineties. And then now you fast forward to thirty plus years later, you have things like hip hop ed with Dr. Emden, who just a phenomenal educator. And you have uh, you know, Jeff Des, Trill, you know, Trill, no trill, like you have all these different movements going on 
Right. And then you have programs like Flocabulary. Yeah. An education program that actually uses hip-hop as the vehicle to drive instruction. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought this moment would come? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I want to know your thoughts about the current state of hip-hop culture within this context of education. What are your thoughts about this um, movement and how it's uh, evolved over time? I think it's awesome because it's allowing educators to exercise flexibility, allowing educators to exercise creativity. And a lot of this boils down to that. that that's what hip hop is. It's creative expression. It is a form of connectivity culturally for us and bringing that into the classroom helps as a a method, a tactic, if you will, to bring connectivity between content and student. Um, What people have to be careful of though, and sometimes it can be intimidating, is that it's, it's all fine and good for someone who grew up on that, for someone who has experience with hip hop and, and so something like vocabulary is a minor adjustment, but it can be intimidating to someone who that is not a part of their cultural experience and who doesn't have that predetermined, um, a, a, who doesn't have any sort of a connection prior to that with hip hop or any sort of hip hop vehicle. And it, it can be a little intimidating, rightfully so. Yeah. Um, which is which is which is perfectly fine and understandable. What we have to understand is that it's just one way, mm-hmm. and it's a tactic. Um, at the end of the day, it really, really is. It's it's one vehicle out of many. Hip hop and education is relevance, but it's not responsiveness. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And you, you as a as a practitioner of the field, you know what I'm talking about I know here I because. You, it, it it brings that immediacy. It's something that is pop culture. We see, hear, feel, vibe with every day. But that responsiveness goes below that. And that's what, regardless of your, as an educator, your cultural upbringing or background, that is where you could leverage something like that, regardless of if you're familiar with, <laughs> you know, Jay-Z, Biggie, or or anything else hip-hop-wise. You, you see what I'm saying? Hey. I think that sometimes is where we start to have a little bit of murkiness in the conversation. Sometimes educators feel like, well, I don't know, I don't, I don't know the Migos, I don't listen to the Migos, so I can't bring hip-hop into my classroom, or, or I can't be, I can't teach in a culturally responsive way. You, you can. You can teach culturally responsive uh, 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 lessons to your students when you go below the surface. Hip hop is surface level. Culturally responsive teaching is below the surface. Right. And you talk about this idea of a surface culture, which is basically what we're able to see. Correct. Those, those traits of culture that we can see, but we don't deal with the internal aspect of culture, which, mm-hmm. which isn't always um, easy to detect. Correct. But, um, just speaking on culturally responsive teaching, I always like to tell people, well, it's not really a new concept in education. I mean, it's a, the, it's a buzzword, but it's been going on for many generations. Um, in this Facts. Because at the end of the day, being culturally responsive is, in my opinion, the greatest form of empathy. Because mm. at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you have to consider the 
cultural background of your students. You have to consider their interests and their hobbies. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're both fathers. We know what our children like. We mm -hmm. don't just go ahead and just buy whatever. We take the time to think about what type of toys or gifts that you know they like mm -hmm. based on their interests. That's Correct. us taking the time to get to know our kids. Mm -hmm. It's the same concept with our students. We can't just go ahead and, you know, decide on, okay, we're just going to go ahead and just do stuff on worksheets. We're just going to do work on worksheets all day or mm -hmm. we're going to just do that. We have to think about, you know, just pedagogically what works for our students because not mm -hmm. everybody learns the same. That's right. responsiveness. So when you talk about culture, a lot of people like to interchange it with race. Correct. As opposed to looking at it as, well, race is just under the umbrella of culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the issues in certain districts. Whenever this idea of CRT is rolled out, mm -hmm. they automatically think it's all about race. When in actuality, it's not only about race, we're talking about sexual orientation, we're talking about identity, we're talking mm -hmm. about gender, we're talking about mm -hmm. religion. We're talking about food. All these different elements fall into that, but we hone in on the race. Yeah. And I know, and I can understand why, because it's a yeah. very integral component, but it's not everything. And I think that's what causes people to shy away from being more culturally responsive in their own practices, just from sure. what I've researched and what I've observed. Just in my years in the classroom, and um, we got there. There. At the end of the day, it's uncomfortable. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and, and lie and say, you know, that it isn't when it, it really is. Talking about race in a professional atmosphere is uncomfortable. All right. Um, but it, it, absolutely. But when we start as educators to embrace that culture is vital, to the success of our students beyond race, then we start to understand. And when we, when we start to understand the impact of culture, when we start to understand what elements that we can incorporate into how we're teaching, not, not necessarily what, but how we're teaching them. When we, inj when we um, inject curiosity, when we inject collaboration, when we inject ways for our students to make meaning of the content according to how they make sense of the world. You could teach anything. You could teach anything. Math, science, English, social studies, PE, music, you could teach anything when you have an understanding of those elements and you inject those into those lessons. Now we begin to shift the narrative a little bit because what happens is when we're taught to be educators, we're not taught to teach with those things in mind. Technically speaking right now, the way many of us have been taught to be educators, it is culturally responsive, but the question below the question is who's culture? You, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yes. So it's now we have to understand how we can connect to people of color who more than likely come from backgrounds, what they call from collectivist backgrounds, people where we as a people, we collaborate. That is a part of our DNA yes. to be around, to connect with one another. Yes. And when we start to really inject narratives, teaching with story 
and 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 you'll, those types of vehicles you you it makes it's how our, a lot of our students of color make sense of the world and it's how we can get them to really move the academic needle when it comes to content no absolutely and you know the work continues even in 2020 we're still doing absolutely. it still a lot to be done but man let's let's have a little bit of fun man we've you know, sure we've sure talking you know about important issues but you know what i can't have you on the show without engaging some hip-hop dialogue so okay. indulge me if you will <laughs> you know i grew up a hip-hop head grew up in connecticut with my brother so obviously connecticut is not a state where you have like a specific hip-hop culture mm-hmm. we kind of gravitated towards all types of hip-hop so we grew up listening to hip-hop from new york hip-hop Black state hip-hop, absolutely hip-hop from jersey hip-hop from mm-hmm. the from you know the west coast so midwest so we had an eclectic ear when it came to hip-hop mm-hmm. so my question is let's assume that you had to go on a stranded island okay you only take three albums with you <laughs> which which albums would they be okay there, there are going to be three albums that are going to reflect very different times of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, one is going to be uh, Noriega's album. Um, Nori, N O R E. Yep. Uh, I want to say, I want to say that was 98, another. Um, the see where I start to get really indecisive is that middle time because that was around high school for me. Okay. And then there was some transition around college where I really kind of got to, because when I, I went from New York to Virginia mm-hmm. and then started to become exposed to different types of hip hop growing up in New York, it was all about Biggie and Jay-Z period. If it wasn't, if it was outside of that, I didn't care about it. <laughs> um, but even at that time in my life, I, I would, I would have to say, And, and it's kind of a blend of hip hop, and it was kind of from around that same time that I didn't appreciate it until later. It's hip hop and R and B with Lauren Hill's uh, "The Miseducation of Lauren Hill," yep. um, and then lit to reflect a later period of my life, Jay Z's "Four Four Four, because that album with everything that it represented as far as just maturity, as far as growth, speaks to a lot of my growth as an academic. And as a practitioner, so it would probably be those three. All right. Yeah, it's it's tough for me because you know I had an older brother and he pretty much put me on to everything, all the hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, we were listening to a lot of different hip hop, but we were specifically fans of the Nev Tongues movement. Mm. Listen to like De La Soul. We listened. Mm-hmm. To- you know, a lot of these different movements at the time. One album that really represents just the, that time for me, and it's one of my all-time favorite albums, is A Tribe Called Quest Midnight Marauders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Still thumps to that, this day. Either between that or um, Low End Theory. I always yeah. struggle to choose which one, but it's definitely going to be one of those albums, either Low End yeah. Theory or Midnight Marauders, but I'll probably lean towards Midnight Marauders. Mm-hmm. that's an album that you can listen from start to finish 
even to this Absolutely. day. I listen to it now. It's like it's timeless. Mm-hmm. It feels like yep. 2020. <laughs> um, that's so that's what each of those three were. They're timeless. That that's a good yeah. word for that. Timeless. Timeless. Yeah. But um, that's one album. And then um, going into, I guess, high school. Huh, what albums was I listening to at the time? Hmm. It's it's tough because there's so many great it albums. Is. It is. So many. Um, you know what I'm gonna go with? I'm gonna go with Wu Tang Clan um Entertainment mm. Chambers. Mm. And the reason why is because, you know, at the time I was in elementary school. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. it came out on the same day as Midnight Marauders. They were they were released on the same day, '93, November '93. Wow. Yeah, those two albums. The reason why I say Wu-Tang Clan's Enter the 36 Chambers is because my brother would mm-hmm. always quiz me on the nine members. So he'd play a song and he'd tell me, uh, Hi, who's who that right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could always get Method Man. Oh, I, yeah, of course. I could always get um, ODB because they had the most distinctive voices. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know it's them. Yeah. But I always mix up Jizz and RZA. <laughs> of course. I then um mix up Ghost and Raekwon. Like I always jacked yeah. them up. But when it came to Method Man yeah. and um Old Dirty Bastard, I already knew who they were because their voices yeah. were so different from the rest of the group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get them wrong. But uh yeah, Wu Tang Clan, definitely another album I take <laughs> with me. And then fast forwarding to um this current time, now that I'm older, mm-hmm. my ear is a lot more mature. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't really get into the the trap music and just like this the new age hip hop. I respect it, but yeah. I just can't get fully into it. If I had to choose one rapper during this era, an album that I really liked, um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with J. Cole. KOD's album. Okay. J. Cole KOD. Mm-hmm. And I'm a and I love J. Cole because he has like the hip hop, that old school hip hop feel. Yeah. But he's contemporary at the same time. So mm-hmm. it's like yeah, the, the message perfect, too. It's like the perfect yeah. mix of the two. Like he mm-hmm. respects the OGs. And you could tell he's mm-hmm. a student of you know of the um previous eras and he tries to bring that you know, in his artistry. So, you know, definitely uh J. Cole um KOD album. Awesome. Great album. So Dope stuff. Dope stuff. <laughs> that was tough, man. Yeah, I know. I know. There's so much good content to choose from. <laughs> All right. I got another one. If there's one rapper mm-hmm. that you would say best describes your style of teaching, who would that be and why? There's a rapper. You could you could do two if it's if one's too hard. I'll give you an extra. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would probably more so gravitate for the exact reason I gave that third album, Jay Z, um, because of his growth. Like when you listen from the beginning to the end, you know his his whole entire his entire discography. You can hear the growth with yeah. the message, with the style. 
uh, with how everything is presented, even with what he's doing now, as far as his ambitions, being a family man, being in the community, that represents growth. And, and that is kind of me in the beginning. You know, I didn't, I, I wasn't always a good teacher. I struggled in the beginning and it was something that I had to kind of humble myself and realize that, you know what, this is going to take a lot more work than I was originally putting into it. And once I began to do that, I began to see that growth and began to love it more. And because I began to love it more, I wanted to do more, which is the reason why I went back to school and which is the reason why I began to write the book and, and you know, just put so much more into it and still am doing it to this day and feel like I'm just beginning. I think for me, and this is just based on what the kids tell me, uh-huh. As you know, I'm a like I'm somebody that likes to like I like to dress up a little bit when I go to work. Like I'm okay, all, okay. You know, I like to get the bow tie going. Gotta have the right socks with the right loafers. So absolutely, I'm very particular about my appearance because I feel like if you if you dress well, you're gonna teach well. That's just my philosophy. I think it's a feng shui type of. Oh mind. yeah. Um, oh no, I'm with you. And I totally, you know. Uh, believe in that but um i would say you know what i'm gonna go with big daddy kane and here's here's my (laughs) my reason because big daddy kane always looking fly he didn't need to he didn't need to you know dress like everybody else he didn't need to Mm -hmm. have like the you know the gangster look and the you know, the jeans or whatever. He, he had no problem wearing a suit. Mm-hmm. He had no problem wearing the gold chain and the medallions. And he was totally secure with who he was. Indeed. And I feel like that really represents who I am because, you know, like I'm really into like, you know, being fashionable. And then the kids notice it to the point where if I don't, if I wear just, if I wear jeans and a shirt, they think something's wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But also he was, mm-hmm. he was just smooth in his delivery. And I feel like, you know, I have a smoothness to the way I do things. You know, it's it's somewhat unconventional, but it okay. works for my students. Because I do it in a way that's understandable, but it goes beyond convention, you know, especially when mm-hmm. I have to, you know, articulate, you know, different concepts to them, especially because I'm a math teacher, so obviously always using the traditional terminology isn't going to work, you know, with students sure. have to find ways to, you know, make those connections. So this is where the culture comes in, you know, That's it. That's but, it. but I would say big daddy King for sure. For sure. So man, as we're winding down, I know 2020 is going to be big for teach hustle inspire. Um, I do know that you have a, Twitter chat that's going to be happening regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it's going to be the last Monday of every that's month, correct. if I'm correct. Last Monday. I just yep. came across that today as I was uh, web surfing. But um, outside of that, um, what other projects are on the horizon uh, for 2020? As you mentioned, the Twitter chat is going to start um, the last Monday in January, and we're going to go with the last Monday. It's, it's probably going to be something that is going to be more frequent, but I'm just going to start with that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, also, the next season of the podcast is going to be starting um, with more regular and consistent episodes. And so that is going to be something that I'm working on and definitely got to get you on there, by the way. So make some make some room for me in your calendar, please. Oh, definitely no, no, got to no get doubt. you on there. You, you let me know when I'm there, brother. You know I got Okay, you. I appreciate that. Sure. And then also, um, there are a couple of other things that I'm working on. I haven't hashed out all of the de- all of the details yet, but um, you know, I, I'll I'll be sharing some of that information via social media with some things that are going to be coming for the spring uh, of 2020. Some some big things that are going to really, I think, take Teach Hustle Inspired to the next level. Um, with educator health and wellness in mind. Okay. And I know that's something that you started to touch on briefly, um, like last year, I know, but now you want to make a bigger movement out of that because I think that's really important. Yeah. Uh, just the idea yeah. of self-care because we, we're selfless, you know, by nature. Yes. We're thinking about the kids. We're thinking about how they're doing when they leave us. We got to think about ourselves too. We got to look Absolutely. after ourselves because if we're not well, we can't teach our kids well. We can't be there for them the way we need to. You said it. Yes, sir. And you um, said it. so, yes. So, Dr. Sean Willie, man, appreciate you for coming, brother. Always a pleasure to talk with you. And um, before we sign off, can you just let people know how they can follow you on social media and also provide um, the website? Uh, for Teach Hustle Inspired, for people to sure. get their gear, you know, like like we got ours. So, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you can find me. I'm on Twitter at Sean Woodley. Um, it's spelled S H A U N W O O D L Y. There's no E in my name. A lot of times when people write my name, they put an E in it and it'd be uh, for some reason. Right. <laughs> um, but everything else, Instagram, Facebook. And even just searching um, the hashtag Teach Hustle Inspire, you'll find me. I'll pop right up. And the website is, of course, www.teachhustleinspire.com. And they don't have uh, information as to how, if, um, you know, for speaking engagements, uh, staff development, workshops, keynotes, uh, as well as merchandise, the hoodies, the T-shirts, anything, Teach Hustle Inspire, you'll find it right there. Uh, yes, sir. And thank you again, Sean, for coming through. And on behalf of Dr. Sean Willie, this is Kwame Salfamensa, and we're wishing you a good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. <laughs> and we're going to do this again another time. Peace. Thank you again for having me, brother. I appreciate you. Yes, sir.